Welcome to the Viva Young Adults podcast. We're the Young Adults Ministry of Viva Church, and we want to thank you so much for tuning in. Whether you're already a part of YA or a guest with us today, we hope that what's shared encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. So I started ministry as soon as I got saved when I was 13. It's been 25 years. And this season by far is my favorite season of ministry. And I just want to say to all of you, um, Phil and I lead you, but like the more we get to know you, we just feel like more and more hope for this generation and for the future. Like you guys inspire us. You guys are like sold out for Jesus. And it's such a privilege to be leading you. So I just want to say that. Thank you for being you. So how many people here want to get married? (laughs) Put your hand up. It's half the people. (laughs) Half the people. (laughs) Why are you guys embarrassed? Who wants to get married? (laughs) Okay. This side doesn't. (laughs) So... So we've had many people come to us in the last several months saying, we want to hear about relationships. So the people have spoken. We have listened. We're talking about relationships starting today. And I want to start by talking about the movie Barbie. How many of you watched the movie? How many of you are fans? Keep your hand up. (laughs) How many of you want to throw Rotten Tomatoes? You want to throw rotten tomatoes, yeah? Okay. So just to fill everyone else in, Barbie takes place in Barbie land. It's a matriarchy, meaning women have all the power and men are accessories. (laughs) So Barbie has this existential crisis, and she leaves Barbie land to the real world, our world, where it's a patriarchy, where men have the power, and women are mostly excluded from it. And Ken goes back to Barbie land and tries to change the constitution to patriarchy, from matriarchy. We also have this, uh, there's a book written called Gender Games, where after the final, the last world war, when there's only a small remnant of people left, they start to rebuild, but men and women can't get along. Kind of like what's happening in our world today. There's a war between the genders, and there's this toxic river, and on one side, they develop a, a the the place is called Patris, which is a patriarchy, and on the other side, Matris. Surprise, a matriarchy. And on the side of patriarchy, women have no rights. They're actually treated like pet animals. They can't go out without a male guardian. They can't work. They can barely get any education, like many women in the world today. And then in the in a matris, in the matriarchy, we have men who, if they cannot pass the aggression test, and they don't score well, they get sent away to slave labor in the mines, even if they're single-digit age, even if they're children. And then they leave behind their grief-stricken mothers and sisters. So this is, um, if you had to choose, would you want to live in a patriarchy, a matriarchy, or neither? (laughs) Neither. (laughs) Neither is right. So both are dysfunctional. 
in both of these systems, one gender dominates the other, and it's dysfunctional. Currently in our world, there's a struggle between men and women that's progressively getting worse. And you hear slogans like, the future is female. That was spoken by Hillary Clinton's supporters during her campaign of this <laughs> attempt to erase men. <laughs> so let's look at God's original design for male and female. Let's just clear it all up. I'm going to give you a map and look at how uh, God wanted us to relate in terms of male-female relationships. And then, if you're looking, what to look for in a husband or wife. Okay, so my first point today was that God's original design was for males and females to rule together. We're going to go back to Genesis 1, 26 to 27. God makes man in his image and tells them to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. Male and female, he created them. What does he tell them to rule over? Fish and birds and creepy crawly things and all of creation except each other. He does not tell them to rule over each other. Man is not told to rule over woman. Woman is not told to rule over man. They are to rule together in a one flesh union over all that God had made. They are to subdue the earth, not each other. 1 Corinthians 11.11 says, In the Lord, woman is not independent from man, and man is not independent from woman. No gender is supposed to be self-existent. Otherwise, you get a dystopia like gender games. So why did God do this? Because God knew that the male-female team would be the best possible team for accomplishing God's purposes on the earth. And let's look at why on a biological level. Men have a hormone in abundance called testosterone. And as a result of testosterone, they have a lot more red blood cells and oxygen and energy, and they're just stronger. They have 40% more muscle, 50% more brute strength, it's why we have women and men separated in terms of sports because the men typically always win because they're just built differently. <laughs> <clears throat> men have heavier bones. So if you were to uh, put a male and female side by side that were exactly the same size, the men's, someone's praising over there, <laughs> the men's, the man's bones are denser than the woman's bones that are exactly the same size. So God did that for a reason. Men also have thicker skulls, and you can interpret that however you want. <laughs> so men also tend to be more <laughs> activity-oriented. And then we have women who have a hormone called estrogen. Right. So... Women are physically designed to nurture. They are more discerning. They are more um, perceptive emotionally and relational focused. They have, typically women are more intuitive. They have a stronger intuition and they have better soft skills. Whereas men have typically better hard physical skills. You can be an exception. It doesn't mean you're not male or female, whatever you are originally. <laughs> is what you are, but typically that's what it is. So back to Adam and Eve. 
So Adam is created, and he's created to be keeper of the garden. He's supposed to protect and guard everything that's in the garden. And then Eve is created, and her role is to give life and to cultivate life. The name Eve literally means life giver. This was before she had children. So this is more than just about procreation. So in the, in the garden, God creates male and female, and they're equal but different. And that's good. It, male and female represent different aspects of God that are very good. And then he delegates his power to both of them, not more to one than the other. He gives power to both. So God shares his power to us. And any, in any way that we are powerful in life, if you are physically powerful, some of the men here, if you are emotionally powerful, you're financially powerful, all of that comes from God. It's like we're stewarding the power that God gives us on the earth. It's from a source outside of us. And God wants us to use the power he gives us. So I would argue, you know, some people would say the fall of man happened when Eve ate the fruit. But I argue that it happened a little bit before that. So when the serpent came into the garden and it says in Genesis 3, 6, the woman took the fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Where was Adam? With her, right there, standing beside her, watching it all happen. He abdicated his power. God gave him power to be keeper of the garden, and he gave his power up, and Eve abused her power to become like God and to know good and evil. And so they both misused their power, and the fall of man happened. So I just want to clarify that God wants you to use your power, not abdicate it, but to use your power tempered with servanthood and stewardship. What if Adam had said when he saw the slithery serpent come in and he just like stepped in and he's like, shut up and get out. Like that's what he was probably supposed to do. And that's what maybe a lot of men are supposed to do in, in their families today, to be a keeper of their family, protecting. But Adam and Eve used their power to reject God. And when we abandon God's design, we invite pain into our lives. Sometimes it's a different problem where we're not abdicating power, but we're abusing power. So both females and males have the choice to bless or harm others with power. It's like you have access to fire, and it's like what you do with it. It's like a neutral thing. Like power in itself is not bad. It's what you do with it. So think about whether you use your power to bless or to harm other people. And what you do with those that are more vulnerable than you exposes who you are. So I just want to say, um, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be human. <laughs> Um, to be human means we have a voice. We have God's creative expression. It means we're meant to be in relationship. And when someone uses their power to silence another person's thoughts or feelings or their expression, that is an abuse of power um, because it's, it's also in the context of patriarchy. If you have a man say to the woman, 
you will listen to what I say and you will obey me and whatever I say goes all the time. Like, that's it. That is an abuse of power because God never meant the voice of the female to be silenced and to be made irrelevant. It's, it's abuse. So I want to give you the example of a, a good role, but in the wrong context. So in the context of war, we have generals. And thank God for generals, right? We have freedom in Canada today because of some really great generals who fought in the war. And it's good to be a general in war, but it is not good to be a general in the context of a family. It's a good role, but in the wrong context. And it actually becomes abuse when you're a general, when you're and you're, you're supposed to be a father and a husband, and you're a general, that's abuse. So abuse of power shatters relationships. And when I said earlier that men are keepers of the garden, it's because women are more vulnerable than men, and I'll explain why. If you look around the world today, there's 736 million women, almost one in three, that have experienced intimate partner violence. They've been sexually or physically assaulted by their boyfriends, their husbands, the people closest to them who are meant to protect them. One in three around the world, and even worse in Canada. And based on Statistics Canada, 44%, 44% in 2018 reported experiencing some form of psychological, physical, or sexual violence by an intimate partner in their lifetimes. The proportion of women killed by a spouse or intimate partner is over eight times greater than the proportion of men. Women are also more vulnerable because being female can actually be a death sentence. So according to a global study on female infanticide, so the killing of female babies, fetuses, in 2018, by the Asian Center for Human Rights, 117 million girls demographically go missing due to sex-selective abortions. And then that's not naming the, the abuse and the death that happens after that. So in light of these horrific stats, I want to challenge you men today to step into your power and take your place and protect those who are more vulnerable than you, including women. So... We know what not to do for one gender, gender to dominate the other. So what do we do instead? I want to take you to 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Males and females are to relate like family. And I'd bet that for most of you, you don't think of your grandmother, your mother, your aunt, your sisters, etc., with um, sexual undertones. <laughs> like, you just don't think that way. Like, you treat them like family. And that, the fact that you can do that with your female family members, men, means that you can do that with your sisters in Christ, like, in a context like this. You don't make sexually suggestive comments to your female family members. So don't do it to women at church. And just a little bit about flirting. Flirting can really mess up opposite gender relationships. I'm not saying you should never, ever flirt. You know, if you're already in a relationship, like your relationship has progressed to the point where flirting would be appropriate, that's good. But if you flirt with people 
as like your regular mode of functioning, you're, you're playing mind games with people and it's not nice. It's actually super disrespectful. Treat your woman, treat the woman in your life like family, the way you would treat your sisters. And then set healthy boundaries, not too rigid, not too flexible, just healthy boundaries. So instead of treating one female friend differently, if you want to do something nice for someone, do it for all your female friends. Um, don't pick people out and then make it really confusing for them. You want clarity to be in all of your friendships with opposite gender. And then if you're on the receiving end of kindness, don't mistake kindness for love. Sometimes people are just really kind, especially if they've been redeemed by Christ. It's just in their nature to be kind. It doesn't mean when someone is nice to you that they, they love you in that way. So a question that you can ask yourself is, what will I be okay with when I'm married? Think about your future spouse. Do you want them to have long, drawn-out converse, private conversations with someone of the opposite gender? Do you want them to be in long car rides with them? Do you want them to have lunch together every week, privately? Um, everyone's going to answer probably a little differently, but whatever you want your spouse to do, do, do that, move in that direction so that you become the kind of person you want to marry. And then with your opposite gender friends, you want to pace your relationship so that you can keep your peace. You know, sometimes you're, you're acting in certain ways where maybe you're just, it feels good to do it, but you don't have peace. Like, maybe you flirt a lot, but after, you just, like, feel bad about yourself. You want to pace your relationship so that you keep your peace. So when there's a ton of clarity in those friendships, you're protecting yourself and you're protecting the other person. People aren't wondering where you stand with them. If you're flirting to because you want to date them or it's just because you flirt with everyone and they love the attention. You might want to consider limiting your one-on-one uh, -on -one time with the opposite gender. So I'm not telling you exactly what to do. You pray and you seek God and you seek counsel to find your own convictions. But for example, for me, I don't set a rule where I'm like, I never, ever talk to a man one-on-one. -on -one. So I don't do that. If I have people call me, like men, uh, male pastors, to ask me for mental health advice for what to do about someone in their church, I will not pick up the phone and be like, I don't talk to men one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> I help them. The thing is, with these conversations, they're limited, they're not exclusive. If I were to tell Phil or if I were to record and he'd listen to it, there'd be no, nothing in it that I'd be wanting to hide. I wouldn't be embarrassed about any of it. Um, and I do have guy friends I love spending time with from like a long time ago. And I, so when I hang out with my guy friends, I do it in group contacts, double dates, or I bring Phil along and we all have a great time. Phil loves my guy friends. <laughs> it's like, some of our favorite events in the year. <laughs> you said you do. <laughs> so, okay, I want to talk about if you are attracted to someone, if you are attracted to one of your opposite gender friends, follow a process. You are not supposed to date everyone you like. You're probably not supposed to date. <laughs> 
most of them. <laughs> Follow process. So pray, seek God, get lots of counsel. It's easy to get delusional when you like people. It's like your brain is different. You can act insane sometimes. You don't need a lot of food and sleep. Like delusional sometimes. So get a ton of counsel. Talk to your Christian leaders, talk to your trusted friends, your parents, and make sure that if you decide to act, that everyone's on board. Otherwise, it's probably going to be a disaster. <laughs> Listen, I've been in youth ministry for 19 years, okay? Let me, let me just tell you something straight up. If you have to hide your relationship from your parents or your pastors, you already know it's wrong for you. If you're not going to your pastors or your parents to get their blessing or to get advice, you already know it's wrong for you. So you don't need to ask anybody. I just, again, 19 years of ministry. No, no, I'm going to give it to the boss here. Okay. And then let's say you are attracted to your opposite gender friend. Now you're in trouble. <laughs> and you, um, you do open up the conversation and it finds out, you find out that it's not reciprocated. They don't feel the same way. What do you do next? You do not keep pursuing them. <laughs> Don't be a stalker, people. <laughs> you probably want to, like, cool down the relationship, like, take a step back, get some distance. Otherwise, because there's already feelings of attraction, the more time you spend with that person, the more you're, like, putting fuel into the fire and causing yourself more suffering. So you want to do whatever is in your power to resolve your feelings, and it usually has to do with like getting some distance. Again, don't be a stalker. Girls are not trying to play hard to get, to try to get you to pursue them harder. Believe what they say. A no is a no. It's a no. Okay, so if you want to get married, I want to talk about here's what to look for in a spouse. It's probably not what you expect. If you're looking for a husband... This is what to look for. This is a man who's living out his biblical masculinity, biblical, his biblical role for men. You want to look for a man who brings a sense of safety and security to others, where when he's with a group of people and he looks at, let's say, the, the women that are in his life, you can see safety in their eyes. They feel safe with him. The neighborhood's safer because he's there. He's the type of person who, if he were to see someone being bullied, he would step in and sacrifice his own well-being to step in and protect someone that was more vulnerable than him. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. What is meekness? Meekness is strength that's harnessed. So the, the aggression that God put in men is not bad, but it's controlled strength. It's harnessed strength, not out of control strength. That's when it turns into abuse. So God wants you as a man to not stay silent in the face of evil, but to step in, use your power, whether it's physical or verbal power, and to help those who are more vulnerable than you. The second thing to look for is a man who looks at women with purity in his heart and brings women a sense of dignity. Instead of objectifying women or treating them as sexual objects, he restores to women a sense of dignity. And this is what Jesus did over and over again. 
The woman at the well was probably really attractive. I don't know for sure, but she had lots of men interested in her. She had many relationships, and the man she was with was not her husband. Men today might be told that when you meet a woman like that, you know, just bounce your eyes. Don't look at her. You want to protect your purity. But Jesus looks right at her, and he speaks truth, and he speaks redemption, and he helps her, and he heals her, and he tells her that she's welcome in God's kingdom. When the religious leaders catch that woman in adultery, and they drag her before Jesus to test him, interestingly, the man was not dragged that she was committing adultery with. She's dragged there, and Jesus says, let him who, ha who has no sin be the first to cast the stone. So he was the only one who could have cast the stone. And instead, everyone leaves and he picks her up and he restores, redeems her life. That is the type of man you want to look for in a husband. One who restores a sense of dignity to women. Because chances are, like many of the women in this room have been hurt by men. Some, some, for some of you, unspeakable things have happened at the hands of the other, other gender. So Jesus brings this healing presence and restores dignity to women. Jesus wasn't afraid to break all the cultural, traditional gender rules that were in place in society. He was willing to step in and even at the risk of lots of criticism, put himself on the line and help someone. And isn't the essence of God just love? It's like if we were to boil God down to one thing, it would be love. And God prioritizes love over the exercising of his authority or the carrying out of the law in people's lives. The third thing to look for in a husband is a man who lifts up the status of women. Look for a man who helps women to thrive in their power so that they can make all the impact that they can make for Christ in this world. Because God has given women a lot of gifts. And for many women in the world, their voices are just pushed down and silenced and they're told just to keep their head down and stay small. I just want to give a shout out to my husband who's so supportive with me in what I just said that when I, when I said, hey, can I have 30K to go back to school? We didn't have the money. We weren't financially positioned. He's like, yeah, go for it. I'm like, can I quit my like really cushy government job to like become an entrepreneur? He's like, yeah, you're going to do great. He's just, and in ministry and in family and in business, he's, my, my husband is just so, so supportive and I'm so grateful. <laughs> Instead of taking my power away, he empowers me to make, an, a, make a maximum impact in the world. In the poverty and development class at Portland Bible College, they talk about how when you help women in any country to get jobs, you help them with their employment status. Um, and when countries invest in women-run businesses, the whole gross domestic product of the country goes up. And it doesn't happen for men. It's because of the way God has wired women that when women are doing well, they help their whole community to flourish. It's because of the life-giving ability that God put in women to help our communities flourish. It's like women are community-focused ambassadors. So many countries now are realizing that when you help women, you actually help the whole country. 
everyone benefits. I'm not saying that you don't benefit when you help men with their businesses, but consistently with women, the whole community benefits. So if a woman is not safe and invested in, then everyone suffers, like even as a country, because this is probably why the enemy wants so badly to keep women down. Because when women are suppressed, the whole community suffers. Because women are just wired to help others flourish. In the book, Redeeming Power by Diane Langberg, she's an internationally recognized psycho psychologist. She says that much of the masculinity in Christendom looks nothing like Jesus. It has been influenced by secular culture and sanctioned using theological terms like leader, head, submission, authority, and God-ordained, like a mantra over and over. If a man is having a conversation trying to put a woman in her place and saying, you need to obey me, you need to submit to me, it's already the wrong conversation. God, the Greek word for submission is hypotasso, and it means a serving type of submission. It includes the aspect of free will where it's a response, not a command to submit. And isn't it easy, woman, that when you're with someone who's willing to lay their life down for you, that it just, it's so easy to submit. It just happens naturally. And you could, the men would probably say that too. If you have people in your life, you know that at the drop of, the, of a hat, they'd take a bullet for you. They'd lay their life down for you you would be so eager and happy and at peace to submit to them. And the Bible tells us to all submit to one another. It's not dangerous to submit to someone who's ready to lay their life down for you. If you're looking for a wife, this is what to look for. A woman who empowers and strengthens others. This is my favorite part in the whole, my whole message. When God says he will make a helper, in Genesis 2.18, it's the Hebrew word ezer, and it comes from two root words, strength and rescue. So helper means strong rescuer or life-giving strength. The Bible uses this word helper 21 times. 17 of the 21 times, it is referring to God as our helper. So being female is not a secondary role. If God calls himself helper to us, to be a helper means that your job in every circumstance is to come alongside others and give them strength that they do not have and help them along until they can help themselves. It is to strengthen others. Another thing to look for for men and a wife is a woman who makes others feel at home, a woman who's a refuge to others. Genesis 3.20 the man called his wife's name Eve because she was mother of all the living. So something interesting happens in this verse. Eve has no children. So it's not really like he's describing that she's the mother of all children. She has no children. But before she ever gets pregnant, there's something about Eve that has like mother written all over it. It has nothing to do with babies. And C.S. Lewis talked about how when he lost his mom, it felt like he could never come home again. Like he never had the security that he had when he had his mom. And that's kind of like hinting at the kind of influence and the sense of home and refuge that women are meant to uh, gift others with in the world. 
it has to do with making people feel at home the way a mother does. So woman, wherever you are in life, it doesn't matter what your status is or what your personality is, you're meant to make the people around you feel at home. This is about being settled in your spirit, about knowing who you belong to and offering that sense of belonging to other people so that others feel at home with you. And the third thing is, look for a woman who's beautiful on the inside. <laughs> First Peter 3, 4. Your beauty should come from the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So this might be really countercultural and really offensive if you're a fourth wave feminist trying to erase males. <laughs> but a person who finds rest in God and brings that presence to others, that's evidence of a, a gentle and quiet spirit. It's someone who doesn't need to prove anything, who is secure in who God made them to be. And this is the type of woman that will have opinions and she'll call you out to be a man. I don't believe God wants any of you to marry a woman who's going to be a doormat and who's not going to share her thoughts with you. I think God wants you to have a woman who's going to challenge you and call you out to be a man. And a big part of that is having a gentle and quiet spirit to do that. It's coming out of a place of security and strength. Also, one of the best things about God is he's so beautiful, right? And God put all of that beauty into woman. <laughs> so when I, when I said earlier, it's like beauty on the inside, on the inside. So look for someone whose internal life, their inner life reflects God's beauty. Um, and women are meant to, and because God put all that be inner beauty into, the, into woman, uh, women are meant to be seen and cherished. So in conclusion, when we live out our full femaleness and our maleness in the world, we are showing God's glory and his original design, and it's together that we will accomplish God's purposes in the world. It has to be together. It's going to be an absolute failure if it's just one without the other. And the truth of, about male and femaleness can set you free. We have the grace of God to live in this way where we are working together to accomplish God's purposes. <laughs> All right. So we were thinking, we weren't sure if we wanted to do this. Raise of hands. Would, would it be helpful if Phil and I did a Q&A with you right now? Yes? All right. Come on up here. <laughs> If you disagreed, feel free to speak up too. But I might beat you up with the love of God, with with the Bible. Um, also, just want to just want to add this. I'm going to do a part two next month. I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything this intellectual, but I'm going to do something else a little bit next month. And uh, so, but we're also going to be doing a little bit of a Q and A. So if you can't think of questions right now. Over the next month, maybe some of the things that, might, that this might stir, you know, kind of in your spirit and your heart over the next, you know, few days or few weeks, write them down and then bring them and then we'll do a Q&A on that, that night as well. But, does anybody have a question?
Oh, hold on. Sorry for the recording. I guess I'll, I guess I'll stand up. <clears throat> so I'm really curious about the sort of boyfriend girlfriend terminology. That's like very. I think it's very worldly. And then how do you biblically contextualize that uh, in the church? And how should we um, begin a relationship and then move on to engagement and then marriage? That's a good question. Um. Yeah, that was a good question. Um, my wife has the answer. <laughs> I mean, so if you want to talk about boyfriend-girlfriend being a worldly thing, if you want to go back to the Bible and do things like they did in the New Testament, uh, it was very different. Um, so you would basically get, uh, I might mess this up, but you basically, uh, basically the, the, the man would pay a dowry to the, bride's family to basically prove that, which would equal just about a year's worth of wage to prove to the family that he could take care, in fact, of, of, of the girl, of, of the one that he wants to marry. And then they would spend a whole year engaged, but not engaged, which would be the courting process. And so that's where Mary and Joseph found themselves into. They weren't yet married, but then she found herself pregnant. Obviously, you know the story with, with you know, with Jesus. Um, and he's like, okay, you know, so you're pregnant, but we're not married yet. So I'm going to break this off, you know, quietly to not, you know, bring shame to you and all that kind of stuff. So, but that's kind of where they found themselves. So they do that for about a year and then, and then they would then declare that they're getting married and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, boyfriend, girlfriend terminology, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I think the purpose behind it is different. Now, if you're Becoming a boyfriend, girlfriend in the way that the world acts as boyfriend and girlfriend, that's different. Um, so I think, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's not really terminology as much as, as it is, you know, the, the process, yeah. Um, so you can call it whatever you want. You can say we're courting. You know, a lot of Christians will just say, oh, we're just courting, right? No one has a clue what that means, but you can say that anyways. <laughs> um, what does that even mean? But, um, yeah, so like my wife and I, like, uh, I don't want to share the story. It'll take way too long. Sure. Uh, so we, <clears throat> okay, so long story short, I went from bad to bad relationship. I'm the type of guy that, you know, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. So if I liked you, I told you and hope that you would fall for me, but most didn't. So <laughs> I, I know, right? Come on. So heartbreaking. And uh, so, but I made a deal with God. I said, God, I'm done. I am absolutely done. I'm, you know. Uh, you know, the, the, the person that you have for me, they're going to make the first move. And anyways, long story short, uh, through a series of, of events, I, 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 my wife kind of somewhat made the first move-ish. Uh, but it took Pastor Frank to hit me while we were driving a car and call me an idiot for me to realize that she was making the first move. And that's why it's important to have your pastors and your leaders involved in your life so they can call you out when you're being an idiot. But... So in this case, he's like, you big dummy, don't you realize that she's, you know, that she's like making a first move? I'm like, really? So she was doing, by the way, for you guys that are doing Viva College, I'm the reason why there is a no dating rule, if, in case anybody's wondering. I'm the reason why I was the first year, and uh, it was just, anyways, it, it, was, it was pretty bad. And um, so that's why there's no, uh, no dating rule now, so you're welcome. And uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, so, um, so... 
I allow Pastor Frank to obviously be part of the process. That's very important. Allow your leaders, allow your pastors, allow, it doesn't have to be me, but allow your leaders, those that are above you, your small group leaders, allow people, allow the community to be involved in the process because they might see some things that you don't. But anyways, long story short, um, so there was a note, so she was doing the equivalent of Viva College back then, and uh, I was like, well, I can't, you know, date her because there's a no dating rule because of me and I don't want her to get kicked out, whatever. And he's like, no, here's what you got to do. So this was in December 2008. He said, tell her how you feel. And if she feels the same way, great. You now have six months remaining of college for you to pray and fast and get to know one another in, in groups and all that kind of stuff. And then you can move forward from there. But if she doesn't, no harm, no foul. You didn't allow your heart to get too involved in whatever. So I met with her and that's exactly what I said. I said, look, I, 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 you got a call in your life. I got a call on my life, which I'm going to talk, that's one of the things I'm going to talk about uh, next time. But, um, you know, you got a call in your life. I got a call on my life, you know, and, and I, I like you. I love how you're on fire for Jesus. And I told her all the things I liked about her. And I said, you know, and if you feel somewhat the same way, even, even like, even a little bit, please tell me. And then we can fast and pray and see if this is what God has for us. But if not, hey, that's, I still, I love how awesome you are and how much you love Jesus and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I can move on. I didn't allow my heart to get too open and whatever. So for us, we actually did that part first before we made anything official and whatever. So rather than just date around and see, is she the one? Is he the one? Is she the one? Why not just take the time and actually seek God first before you make a move, before there are, you know, because then, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but like it's a lot easier to move slowly forward than to move too fast and have to try to backtrack and undo stupid things and, and whatever, right? Um, so yeah, so we did that. And then after she was done, we dated just to make it official, whatever, just for formality. And then the following year, we got engaged and then we got married. So that, that's how we did it. Um, so I don't think the terminology in and of itself is bad. Again, you know, what do you mean? What is your definition of being boyfriend and girlfriend? Is it friends with benefits? You do, you know, things that you shouldn't, uh, you know, things that should be reserved, you know, within marriage context? Or is it just that, hey, you know, we're, we're taking this time to get to know one another and whatever, right? So I think it's the terminology more than the process. It's, yeah. Does that kind of answer your question? Okay, perfect. Thanks. Anyone else? Give one for my wife. Anybody, please. It's her message. Yes. I got it, I got it, I got it. Hey. Oh, Bless you. Okay, Look at you. Cool. Coming in clutch. Um, okay, so you just mentioned the importance of seeking God first and having that relationship set with him before even entering a relationship. There's that aspect, but something I've also heard of a lot in terms of, like, making sure that you have a good relationship with yourself and how you see yourself so the person that you're with isn't your only source of happiness. How can one... Um, find that because there's a lot of times like especially for like young women they struggle with like their own self-worth and everything and they try to find that maybe through a guy and think that that's the only way so where is that level of like settling with yourself and how do you do that that's a good question great question awesome yeah i think no matter what your relationship status is you're gonna have to keep going to god and finding your sense of belonging in him and asking him and meditating on scripture and finding out what you mean to him and having that be your most important relationship. Like it doesn't, 
your insecurities don't go away when you get married. It's not like suddenly everything's easy and you're secure as a person. If you're insecure pre-marriage, <laughs> post-marriage, yeah. Let me let me add be... to that. Out of a personal experience, it is true. Uh, whatever, I'm just being vulnerable, but it is true. Whatever, yeah. If if you're dealing with insecurities and stuff, it's not gonna yeah, make it go away. There's it's no make magic. It no, there isn't. And yeah, one thing that I've had to, I'll just speak from experience, one thing I've had to learn, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about that next month, is that your wife can never be your source. Only God can be that. And the problem is when, you know, and, and a lot of people end there, is they try to make the place that God should be occupying their spouse or their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And the thing is that, you know, your, your fulfillment will never come from a person. You know, this concept of, you know, you bring your 50, I'll bring my 50, you know, you complete me. That's bullcrap. That's go because if you're broken and incomplete going into the marriage, it's going to be magnified within the marriage. So you work on that before and, you know, and you focus on that. But I'm going to talk a, a little bit more about that uh, next month, I guess. Yeah, everything that you have unresolved, like your, your wounding and your sense of, like, misidentity, that will all be uh, triggered, I'm sorry, triggered in your marriage uh, over and over. Yep. And also you could use that as an opportunity to keep going to God for healing. It happens in layers, like healing is cumulative over a lifetime. And um, marriage is like a, a crucible where you Come can on. let it, it be iron sharpens iron and make you better in like that fiery furnace of a crucible. Yeah. And... That's what it's meant to be, marriage to sanctify you yep. and make you holy. So you use all of the, the pain that comes from the conflict and even your own pain that gets triggered. It might not even be necessarily about the other person. It's just your pain will come up mm -hmm. and then you, you allow God to use that to initiate healing in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, marriage is for sanctification. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you don't want to change, or if you don't want to be better, if you don't want to be, you know, in friction for the sake of being polished, don't get married. I'm just going to say it straight up. <laughs> because ma marriage is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> I will say that. Um, but if you're willing to be challenged, so I might be bursting some bubbles here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but uh, I, had, I, had a, I had a youth group on my house years and years ago, like a small group of, of boys at my house. And this, with this, this, what, this one guy, he's not here tonight, so I'm able to say that. He's currently traveling. Anyways, uh, but he used, to, he used to say all the time, it's a trap. Marriage is a trap. So it's not a trap. It's a trap if you let it be a trap. But it could be a beautiful refining process and, if you actually allow it to be what it's meant to be. Ultimately, marriage is the closest experience that you have to heaven of God um, using the analogy of marriage in terms of his relationship to us. So if you are up for the challenge, it will be your closest experience of heaven. Oh, do you mean that, baby? Mm -hmm. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Actually, no, seriously. Uh, it really is. So, because marriage is one of those things, like, like, marriage is the opportunity and the ability for you to be Jesus to someone like you can be to no one else. You can offer that safety. You can offer that, 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 uh, that, that, um, 
mercy, that grace, that forgiveness, that turning the other cheek again and again, both sets of cheek. You know, like you can just, that was a joke and it flopped. JV, he caught that, he caught that. Um, turn both sets of cheeks. But anyways, uh, now she's getting it. Okay. Um, face cheeks, butt cheeks, guys. Come on. Married people. Anyways, Amen. She's like, oh my God. Uh, but it really is the, the amazing opportunity for you to be Jesus to someone like in, like in no other context. Um, you know, that when they mess up and, and you know, and I'll, I will admit that definitely my wife has been Jesus to me way more than I've been Jesus to her. But, um, yeah. Say what? Yeah. Anyone else? Got time for two more questions. Okay, you got, Nikki, you got this one. I don't want to. Say the question, please. Okay. I oh, she wrote it down. Good girl. Yeah, can't speak that well. Um, so my question is mainly for P. Friend. Yeah. For the women who have been given the wrong idea of submission, what are some practical steps they can take to embracing their power? So, like, to the women who like they enter into relationships and they immediately become doormats, whether their partner wants them to or not, what are some practical steps they can? take in order to like fully embracing the power that God's called them to live in the practical steps are the ones going towards the door yeah so if the doormat behavior is out of fear and is a potential like trauma response because for many women if you grow up with a father or you've dated someone uh, where it's been toxic and abusive then you're going to do that kind of behavior to protect yourself. And so that's something God wants to heal. So see a counselor, go to Christian healing retreats, get counsel from your pastors, and keep working through it with God because that's because God wants you to have a voice. And that's going to be, if that piece like doesn't get solved in a marriage, like the marriage is not what it's, it's supposed to be in terms of displaying the gifts and the glory of God in like all of the different aspects. So I would say it's probably a sign of wounding that needs to be healed. Yeah. Called the lane. Uh -huh. um, I would say if, if it's in the marriage context and the woman is being treated like a doormat, uh, tell somebody. Tell a pastor, tell a leader, a leader trusted friend. If the husband is willing to go to counseling, go to all the counseling. Go to all of it. Uh, uh, I am a strong believer in counseling. Uh, I go to counseling myself. I need it. Um, and But I would say if, if it's a, not a marriage uh, a relationship, depending how severe it is, the, the, the greatest step you could take or the one towards the door, uh, leave that relationship. If, if you know, De again, depending how severe it is, and if it's been brought up and the man is not willing to talk about it or not willing to adjust or not willing to even see his, his error in it, uh, you know, if he is, then that's great. Then you can work through it together and, and that kind of stuff, um, you know, but if it's in, uh, but if he's not willing to, then just get out, make yourself, do yourself a favor and get out. So, yeah. Anyway. One last question. Oh, I don't. <laughs> but you can if you want to. It's not working. 
<laughs> Mind you, you'll see. There it is. <laughs> um, my question is based um, so my parents divorced when I was really young, and so I never, I did not grow up with my dad. And so, what advice would you have for a woman who's only had strong female leads in their life who don't know how to be submissive to a guy? First of all, thank you for your vulnerability. Really appreciate it. Sweetheart? No. You go. So I believe that God wants to restore, like, healthy male people, like, even, um, like, fathers and brothers and bring people into your life. Like, I believe that even within this church, like, you can pray for and ask for and invite people, like, males to take that sort of place in your life and learn. It's never too late to, like, relearn and redo something. Uh, so within like this church family here, I'm sure that there would be, like you'd be willing to <laughs> walk with someone who had that issue. <laughs> like it's, um, yeah, we just like take one step at a time to like relearn and build trust with men. And it's probably gonna be a journey, but if you want to, there's plenty of opportunity to do it. Yeah. And I, also, I would also add, there's, there's literally tons of amazing resources out there. Anything by Jack Frost, not the snowman guy, but Jack Frost. Uh, just Google Jack Frost, Father's Love. Anything by him, experiencing the Father's Love. He's got a whole, he's, he's dead now. He died of cancer. But so some of his stuff's a little bit dated, but his stuff is the best stuff on restoring the Father's Love. And, and like, he's got some phenomenal stuff. Uh, there's a lot of other great resources, uh, again, out there. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of great podcasts and stuff, but um, yeah, if you Google Jack Frost, Father's Love, there's tons of stuff. He did a, um, uh, an entire conference years ago, maybe about 15 years ago at the, uh, I don't know what it's called now, but it used to be called uh, Airport Church, oh, Catch the Fire, I think, right? Now, yeah, he did one there uh, quite a few years ago, phenomenal uh, stuff. Um, I've got some books in my office as well, if, if there's anything that you want to go through. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of really good resources as well, for sure. Yeah. Sure, we'll take one more. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, oh, okay, that's fine. So, um, I don't know, like, if this is gonna, I don't mean it in a mean way at all, but, like, usually when you're, like, hyper-independent woman, strong woman, it's not bad. But when you come to that point where you're, like, unable to submit or give out control, you have to ask yourself why. Like, what are you afraid of? Because you're trying to take over because you're afraid because you're going to get hurt. Right? So there comes a point, like, I'm not against, like, getting help. Like, that's totally fine. But sometimes you've got to, like, sit down with yourself and be like, why am I scared? Because if you can't, if you're so hyper-independent and you can't, and it's, it's not that, like, maybe you want to, but you're just afraid to, right? But then that's going to also reflect in your walk with God. Because at the end of the day, if you're trying to take control and you're so independent and strong and like, you know, I, you know, and it's fine because I, I grew up with a very strong mother too, like, you know, divorced family and everything, right? But like, that's going to, until you deal with it, that's going to affect not only your relationships, but like your walk with God. Because you won't be able to let go to let God do what God needs to fully do, right? So like, I don't know if that's like overstepping. I don't mean it in a mean way, but it's like, Trust me when I say, like, God's going to heal that part, but it's not, like, something 
to be proud of. Like, like again, you can be a strong woman, but don't. That's not your identity of like I'm independent and like no, no, no. Like you, you're gonna learn, and like stuff is gonna happen in life. God, God knows each of us individually. He knows how to shape and mold us. But like, that's a pain, and it's your way of protecting yourself, taking control of like if I control this because I'm strong and I'm independent, I won't get hurt, right? So like, um, I don't know if that helps, but I just. Thank you so much. Right here. Oh yeah, you said you want more. Okay, so this question's for Fran. You touched on the topic of sorry, Pastor Fran. Strong woman. Sorry. <laughs> you touched on the topic of abuse proudly in the perspective of men using their God-given power and submissiveness in the wrong way. But what does it look like when a woman's God-given power and roles are used abusively, and how can that be prevented for the sake of the men in their relationship? Good question. Yeah, so abuse, yeah, that's a great question. Abuse happens the other way as well. So you might have, like, older, so anyway, I won't go into it. Um, so um, it just looks a little bit different. So for women, um, because they're usually not as physically strong with men, it's just, according to stats, it doesn't happen as often that um it, it happens more in the form of manipulation or control, or if you've heard of the word Jezebel, <laughs> like, a, like a controlling, trying to control someone. Uh, so that's the form. It's more of an emotional, psychological control, um, and that's very bad too. <laughs> so, um, I would. So you're asking, like, what to do if someone is. Sorry, what was your question? What does it look like? Yeah, so a woman, uh, I mean, this is not that uncommon, where a woman is controlling a man's decision and running his life, and he's a doormat. So men are meant to use their power and to lead and use their gifts to the benefit of the family, but that would be like a complete abdication of power for the man. And yeah, so that's, that's what is more likely rather than like physical or sexual abuse. It's more emotional, psychological. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for coming. Really appreciate it. Come on, give it up for my wife. <laughs> All right. It. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe that we weren't meant to do life alone, so feel free to reach out by following and DMing us at Viva Young Adults. And don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you know.